Good morning, everyone. Uh, the God's for me, so yeah. uh, it's 10 o'clock in Eastern Standard Time, 10 o'clock. Okay, so we're in the middle of chapter 29. So Yaakov has run Yaakov now is in the house of Ravan, and the 14th Pasuk uh, says, Ravan said to him, You are truly my bone and flesh. So um, Yaakov stays with him for a month. His, his mother had said, She had said to him back in Chapter 27, you'll stay with him for a while until Esau calls off, you come back. His father had sent him to find a wife, but Rivka specifically had said, you, you, will, you will stay with him via Shafta. And here is Vayesha. So Yaakov is with him for a month. And then Ravan speaks in the, in the 15th because you are my relative, my brother, literally brother, this is actually his nephew, you should work for me for nothing. Tell me what your wages are. And as we said last week, at the end of the session, the Torah never mentioned anything about work. There's no suggestion whatsoever that Yaakov has been working. And why would he? He's come to his uncle's house. He came to find a wife. He's there through, you know, a safe place far away from Asa, who mentioned work. It's, it's love who introduces work and, and working for, for pay. So tell me what your wages are. At which point Yaakov could have declined politely and said, I really didn't come to work. But that's not what he says. What are your wages? And Yaakov is about to name his wages. But before that, the Torah tells us, Lavan had two daughters. We're familiar with one of them, Rachel, that he met at the, at the well. But he has another daughter too. Shem Hagdola Leya, Shem Haktana Rachel. The older one is Leya, and the younger one is Rachel. So right away we are noticing that once again there's a family with two siblings. One is defined as the older, and one defined as the younger. And we of course recall this previous story where Yaakov was called Benah Hakatan the younger son, even though he's younger by a few seconds, but it doesn't matter, he's younger. And Benoah HaGadol is Esau. So we expect, or we wonder, if we never read it before, what the relationship will be between what's about to happen now and what happened earlier. Okay. And then the Torah said, Enelayah Rakot, Leah's eyes were Rakot, some translate weak, uh, soft. But Rachel but Rachel was very beautiful. That's an interesting, that, that expression, and are terms that typically in the Bible are used to describe women. There's one situation where it describes a man. Maybe we'll get to that at some point later, but in any event, so Rachel was beautiful. He's already met Rachel at the well. He had this uh, meeting with Rachel, and uh, he loves Rachel. So uh, Yaakov says to Laban, Says, Yaakov loved Rachel, and he had previously met her. 
ויאמר עבודך שבע שנים ברחל ביתך הקטנה, so Yaakov says I'll work for you for seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And he mentions younger daughter. So presumably he suspects, or maybe he knows, that it would, normally speaking, the older daughter would get married before the younger daughter. But in this particular case, Yaakov, one might say, is not conforming to what is presumably the standard. And he says, I want the younger daughter. And we recall, I mentioned this last week, Leon Cass had mentioned this when he came to Patricia many years ago, that we have a similar situation at the, at the well. All the shepherds gather and they wait till the other shepherds come so that uh, no one could take unfair advantage of the situation and take more water than their share. But when Yaakov sees Rachel, he pushes the rock off the well and he uh, gives Rachel, uh, he, he, he gives her cattle, her, her, her sheep, uh, uh, water. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that the rock is so heavy that it needs all the shepherds to push the rock aside. That's a midrashic reading, I would say. The rock is a regular rock. Maybe one person can push it aside. They push it together because they want to wait till everybody comes. But Yaakov breaks, doesn't conform to that rule. Yaakov, um, Yaakov pushes the rock himself because he wants to feed Rachel. Uh, Rachel's uh, flock. So over here as well, Yaakov, one might say, is not conforming to the standard, but he says it explicitly. I worked for you for seven years, for Rachel, the younger daughter. It's even possible that the idea of seven years, which is a very long time, perhaps, I say only perhaps, is because he recognizes that he's asking for something which is not normal. Because normally you wouldn't marry the younger one before the older one. But Yaakov understanding that says, you know, I really want her I'm willing to work extra hard to uh, be able to marry her, that one, the younger daughter, your younger daughter, Rachel. Um, and again, as we ended last week with the observation that uh, somebody used the term transactional, that basically what Yaakov has done over here has defined his future wife as the object of a, of a transaction. This is, these are my wages for the work that I'm going to do. And that's always a dangerous thing to do, to mix up business with, uh, with personal uh, behavior, personal uh, needs or responsibilities can be a very difficult and uh, problematic confusion. And of course, we'll see that over here in spades in the case of Yaakov and the house of Ravan. And Ravan gives his answer in verse number 19, by Yom Ravan, this is verse 19, Tov titio talach, so Lavan says to Yaakov, better I give it to you than give it to anybody else. Stay with me. Now that answer is pure Lavan talking because what he could have said is, okay, we have a deal. Mazel Bracha, you know, we have a deal. He doesn't exactly say that. He says something different. I'm not going to give it to anybody else. No one else will get her except for you. But he didn't actually say, okay, I see you sign the contract, seven years work. He didn't say that. He leaves it open to the possibility that you'll get her, but maybe not in seven years. So if you come back to him and you say, well, but you said seven years. I never said seven years. I said, no one else will get her. And that's, I'm a man of my word. No one else will, will marry her. Stay with me. Shvayi madi. 
Stay with me. How long? Who knows? As long as it takes. But meanwhile, Laman has this very earnest young man who's madly in love with his younger daughter. That's a good business opportunity as far as Laman is concerned. And that's how Laman operates in general. We don't really care about Laman, though he makes the story very interesting. But we do care about Yaakov. And now we're told by Yavod, Yaakov, Rachel, Sheva, Shanim. Yaakov did work in order to secure Rachel for seven years. They won't in his eyes by just a few days because of his love for her. And of course, as Rashi points out, and we are reminded that when his mother had said to Yaakov, you have to run away, flee to the house of my brother and stay with him. That's what she said towards the end of chapter 27. So she used the words Yomim Achadim, but she did not have in mind seven years. She had in mind a few days, maybe a couple of weeks, maybe a month, but not seven years. So ironically, though, he's there now, Yomim, he's there for seven years. And, and all this time, by the way, his mother did not contact him and never will contact him. We'll come back to that later. Why didn't Rivka contact Yaakov? Nobody knows why. But it lends itself to some interesting possibilities. Uh, in any event, this is uh, ironically the Amim Achadim, and it's seven years, which is not a short amount of time. But Yaakov did what Yaakov said Yaakov would do, which he who worked for seven years. And now we have the next verse, verse number 21. Vayoma Yaakov el Ravan, Hava et Ishti, Himau Yamai, Viavoa Eleha. So here they translate, Yaakov said to Laban, give me my wife, um, because my, my, the number of years have been, have been completed, my time is fulfilled. And I will go to her, here they translate, cohabit with her. Lavo often is sexual in the Bible. So Rashi is bothered by that language. I may cohabit with her. Well, is, that a, is that a way you talk in public company? That's so Rashi is bothered by that. But actually, leaving Rashi on the side, I think there's something else more problematic than Viaboa over here. And that is, actually, what bothers me is not the term Viaboa Eleha. What bothers me is a, is a, is a word in this, in this verse that's very striking. Uh-huh. And the word is Hava. Hava is a problematic word in the book of Genesis. I don't know, don't know if it's problematic in the dictionary, you know, but in, in Breshit, the word Hava is always a signal. And the first time we have the word Hava, we have it twice in the story of Migdal Baba. Migdal Baba. Hava, right? Uh, Hava, let's, let us go and build the city and the tower of which is in the heavens. And God says in response, Hava ner dav svatam. Hava, let's let's go down, says to his heavenly retinue, and mix up their language. So there's a hava comes in the context of people saying, well, we essentially what it comes down to is we can we can we can be God, we we can ascend to the heavens. That's that hava. Excuse me? Yes, I'll get to that one. That's already in Shemot. That's the beginning of Sefer Shemot. And of course, the story in the beginning of Sefer Shemot 
can't get into that now, plays off Migdal Babel in, in a variety of very interesting ways. And that is true. Havon Nitzchak Malon, the very first chapter of Sefer Shemot, Paro says, come, let's figure out a way to, uh, to uh, outwit them, to, uh, to, to, uh, to, to, to defeat them, to make them powerless, etc." So certainly a negative, clearly. And then we have the Hava over here. Hava et ishti ki yamai eleha. That's the Hava over here. And then there's another Hava. Hava libanim. Right in the beginning of the next chapter, Rachel says to Yaakov, Hava libanim. We'll hopefully get to that today. So the Havas are problematic. And then I'll mention one other Hava. There's, there's a couple more in Sefer Breshi. They're all problematic. Um, but what I don't want to get into now, but the one that for our purposes is very uh, telling is in chapter 38, Yehuda and Tamar. In Yehuda and Tamar, Yehuda, uh, his own wife dies. And remember, he has sent his daughter, Tamar, to stay with her father. His first two sons have died. Not her fault, but he blames her. And he has no intention. He says, wait around till my older son grows up. And many years have passed. And the older son has grown up, and Yud has no intention of ever permitting Tamar to marry his remaining son, so she'll be sitting there in perpetual uh, widowhood, waiting for the phone call that never comes. Meanwhile, Yud's own wife dies in chapter 38, and Yehuda, he's immediately consoled, and he sets out for the sheep shearing, for the carnival, and on the road, there's a, a prostitute standing in the road. He thinks it's a prostitute, it's actually Tamar, dressed as a prostitute, doesn't recognize her. And he says to her, when he meets her on the road, this is chapter 38. We have that word, Hava. Let's find that word. Chapter 38, where are you? Chapter 38, uh, verse number, verse number 16. Hava, come, he says, let me come to you not knowing she's his daughter-in-law. And she says to him, what will you give me? What will you pay me? Oh, I'll send a goat, he says. No, no, I want security now. Give me something now. And he gives her his coat, and he gives her his seal, and he gives her his staff. And there you have the word hubba. Now the point about, let's, let's, let's focus on chapter 38 for a moment. It's very telling. You have two people who are gonna sleep with each other. And in fact, in the story, the, she will get pregnant and she has twins and those twins will be essentially the line of Judah. They will be also a replacement for Judah's two deceased children. So what she's engaged in from her perspective, what she's engaged in from her perspective is a way to rebuild the family. That's what she's doing. Part of the covering of the head in the story of Tamar is, is exactly that. It's from her perspective in a weird kind of way it's a, it's a uh, sacred act. It's, it's a marriage act to, to build a family. That's, that's how, that's from her perspective. From his perspective, it's a totally profane act. In point of fact, her face is covered the entire time. He has no idea who she is altogether. And so what she says to him is, what are you gonna pay me? Because from his perspective, it's just something you, you buy, something you, 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 you pay, pay money prostitution from his standpoint. And that exactly puts in very sharp relief exactly what I'm talking about with the word Chava. 
the Hava in Judah and Tamar is clearly meant to, uh, to underscore the fact that from his perspective, it's just a buying services. From her perspective, it's quite the opposite. From her perspective, it's a way to, to rebuild the family and to, uh, to, to uh, extend the kin lines of Judah's own two deceased children, whom apparently he's not willing to take any risks in order to extend their kin lines. He's concerned about protecting his third son, whom he wrongly blames Tamar for their deaths, but he's not a father in the sense he's caring about the other two children. She does. There are her, her former husbands, good or bad, and they're also Judah's children. She wants those lines to be extended. So there you have the hubba. From his perspective, it's hubba. And over here, coming back to our puzzle, um, all the hovers are, are negative, but coming back to our pasuk over here, what he's saying is, look, we, we had an arrangement, we had a contract, I did my part, my time is up, I put in the seven years, and now hover, and now you've got to pay me. It's actually the language is almost identical to Judah and Tamar. Right. What will you pay me? Etc. So, in other words, if this is correct, what it demonstrates is that Yaakov essentially is falling into the trap set by set by Laban, converting the relationship of husband-wife, or it could be daughter, father, or whatever, into a purely business uh, transaction. That's over here. Now, of course, the question is, what, do, what does it mean, my, my days, my years have been have been completed, right? Uh, let's get back to, back to chapter uh, 29. Chapter 29, verse number, verse number uh, 21. Right, 29, verse 21. So what does it mean, mo'u yamai? Does it mean he actually worked the seven full years? Um, it doesn't actually sound that way. If we read further, it sounds more, I think, along the lines of the Ramban, how the Ramban understood it, which is, it's not actually 100% completed, but he's about to complete it. So he goes to Lavan, let's say, I don't know, somewhere, somewhere in the seventh year. And my years are about to be complete. I'm about to finish it. So let's, you know, by the time I'm finished, you can give me my, I'm, 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 I'm in the home stretch over here. So, uh, you know, give me my wife. And now we have Lavan's response. So Lavan gathered all the people, all the people of his, uh, place, the place, Bayas Mishteh, he makes, they translate a feast. And I would emphasize that the word Mishteh does mean a feast or a party. We have it earlier. Bayas Abraham Mishteh Gadol, Biyom Higamel Yitzchak. But I would say that the word Mishteh, and this is true, generally speaking of, you know, if you go to a fancy party, but generally speaking, there's some kind of beverage that is served. Often it's alcohol, alcoholic beverages. And some people that don't serve alcoholic beverages, maybe serve some substitutes or whatever it is. But the word mishteh is obviously related 
to the word wishtolt, which is to drink. And it could well be that mishte is some kind of uh, alcoholic beverage. I'll get to that later. So he made a, he makes a party. Lovin makes a party. He invites all the people of the place to come to his party. Vahipa Erev. It came to pass in the night. At nighttime, he took Leah, his daughter, and he brought her to, to him, to Yaakov, who went unto her. Now, if we continue to read, it came to pass in the morning, lo and behold, and behold, it's Leah, it's not Rachel. What do you do to me? I work for Rachel. I said, Why did you deceive me? But before we get to Lavan's answer, the question that everybody asks, of course, is how could he be deceived? He doesn't know whom he's married. I mean, he's sleeping with her. He doesn't know who she is. Yes, they are sisters. And it could be that they look very similar. The Zohar has them as actually twins, by the way, but it doesn't matter, which underscores the Yaakov Esau connection. But how could Yaakov not realize it? And here I think there are two factors we have to uh, remember about this particular wedding. First of all, he makes the wedding at night. I don't know what the practices were, but he bought Erev. He takes Leah and he brings her to him at night. Remember, night, it's very, very dark. You don't have electricity, like, so it's pitch black. And number two, if we presume Vayas Mishteh is a party with Mishteh, with drinking, so drinking dulls the senses. If we think about this, in fact, drinking in the book of Genesis in general, whenever someone is given to drink or drinks, that person is in a vulnerable situation. Beginning with the first drinker, which is Noah. Noah drinks, he becomes uncovered in his tent. Something bad sexually happens to Noah. Chumash is circumspect and doesn't tell us exactly what, something took place. Then we have the story of Lot, the parallel to the Noah story, survivor of the, of the, of the uh, destruction of Sodom and North, the survivor of the destruction of the world. And in that story, Lot's two daughters, each one of them gives him drink. They give their father to drink, each one sleeps with their father, each one becomes, is the mother of a child. And there's the two nations, Ammon and Moab. That's another example. Then we have another example of drinking later in the book of Breshit, when Joseph's brothers come down to Egypt and they come down and they have Benjamin with them. And the Torah says that, and Yosef's about to put the goblet in Benjamin's sack. And the Torah says that they drank and they became drunk with him. So drinking and then- Also, also, Yaakov gave his father not only food, yes, but also- Yes, yes, so I'll yeah. get to that in one second. And it's all the way up to exactly that point. And it's something that most people don't notice, actually. They don't notice it. I pointed out many times in the past, it's a very important point. If you look at the story, this is what Sarah is getting at. If you look at the story where Yaakov takes the blessing from, his, from Esau's 
the blessing intended for Esav, which Yaakov takes. So his mother prepares the food. His mother prepares the food. And it says that she made the matamim. And it also says in chapter 27 that she gave him bread. She gave him rechem, rechem, food, whatever. Let's find that verse. Chapter 27, verse number, verse number um, 17. 20, um, 20. 17. Chapter 27, verse 17. So it says that Rivka gave Yaakov the matamim that she prepares. And uh, also the she gives him lechem. Yisrael didn't ask for lechem, but she gives him lechem. And then it says when Yaakov gives uh, Yitzchak, uh the food, right. let's find that, that verse. It's 25. Verse 25 sounds good. And wine. Yes. Verse 25, he says, bring me the food that you, the, the, the food that you have hunted, right? The, when you, he thinks it's Esau, gets sent Esau to the field to bring Tzayin. And he brought him and he ate. And he gave him wine and he drank. The Chumash slips in the wine. Because the point, of course, is that Yaakov is concerned that his father will catch on. And his father is, in fact, suspicious. That's for sure. But Yaakov allays the suspicions. But to be sure about it, he adds something else. Not the Lechem and not the Tzayid. Not the matamim, but yayin. Because the yayin, of course, dulls the senses. And I remember a conversation many years ago when I was in one of my many trips to Israel. I was at a wedding. And I sat with the head of a place called uh, uh, Beit Yisrael, one of my kids that studied there. Interesting place. And he says, it's a place that doesn't have any alcohol. They don't serve alcohol in the place. And he said to me, um, and we're very sympathetic with that position. And he said, you know, alcohol dulls your senses. And why would you want to put yourself in a situation where your senses are dulled ever? So therefore, especially when you're coming to study, you're coming to do a lot of community work, this is what they do there. Um, so why would you want to dull your senses? So we, we actually forbid it. And um, interesting guy, he's also the head of he was the head of all, he was, in, he was a general in the Israeli army as well, and he was the head of the, of the, uh, the, the reservists at that point in the entire Israeli army. It does the census. So Yaakov gives Yitzchak So he takes advantage of two things when it comes to Yitzchak. Number one, um, he takes advantage of, uh, he gives him wine to dull the senses. And number two, of course, Yitzchak can't see. So he takes advantage of his blindness. And now we have the story of Yaakov in the house of Laban. How could Yaakov be fooled? Well, it's very simple. First of all, he's drinking. And number two, it's dark, he can't see. So in point of fact, the inability to see and, and being given to drink is precisely, one might say in the words of the Mishnah, quid pro quo, measure for measure, what you give is what you get. 
point that Kasuto underscored in his discussion of the uh, story of Yaakov and the blessings, and Kasuto saw it all as a, a punishment. It's, it's a punishment for, punishment for two things, punishment for hurting his brother and punishment for deceiving his father. And not only his father, which is bad enough, but his blind father, which is even worse. So here we have exactly that measure for measure. And Yaakov, uh, Yaakov uh, complains. Yaakov says, look, I, we got a deal. I worked seven years for, for Rachel. Why have you uh, deceived me? Lama Rimitani. To which Lovan has his answer, of course. And Lovan's answer, again, very interesting. Lovan's answer is, Vayomer uh, Lovan, in our place, in our town, we have a rule, one or, or, or a custom, one does not marry off the younger daughter before the, before the older daughter. The word has been called, in our place, we don't do that. In our place, if we, have, we, we work with certain rules. The older one has, has privileges, the younger one doesn't have. Older one is first. Now, when you read this, obviously, He's talking to somebody whom the Torah called Beno HaKatan, the younger son, who has done precisely that, taking a blessing that was destined or was intended initially for the older son. So once again, one can see this, I think one has to see this, as a direct uh, critique of Yaakov's behavior. Having said that, having said that, there is a question about this particular verse, which is verse number 30. In our town, we don't do this. I think there is an ambiguity here. That is to say, is, does, is Lavan referencing what Yaakov did consciously? Because it says Yaakov told him why he's there. It says earlier, he told him all of these things, but it never says what all of these things mean. Does Yaakov, does Lovin know the story about Yaakov, the younger supplanting the older? That's possible. Or maybe he doesn't know that. He's just making an excuse by saying, look, what can I do? I'd, I'd love to give her to you, but we have rules. I can't, I can't violate the town norms. You know, so you have to work. I mean, you, you will get her because I said no one else will have her. Okay, another seven years of work. But my point is the, what's ambiguous in the text is, does Lovin know? and is consciously saying this, or no. Lovin's just making the excuse about the people in the town, but, but, the, but, the, but the narrator knows. In other words, is Lovin speaking to us, the reader, and saying, you did this, and you're getting what, what you deserve because you did that, or no, Lovin says, listen, I, I can't help you out. It's a town ordinance. But the, the, but the Chumash is telling us, in our, in our place, we don't do it, and we make the connection. So is the, is the narrator informing us or is it actually Lovan consciously making reference to the younger supplanting the older in the case of Yaakov? Who knows? Now, there are many interesting points. I see in the chat a question, why did Leah go along with this? That's a very good question. Why did Leah go along with this? Let me make a very simple point. In my opinion, IMO. In my opinion, here's how I understand this. Let's pretend you live uh, in uh, Afghanistan, you're in Afghanistan. The Chumash, by the way, later on in Sefer Dvarim, is actually a critique of present day Afghanistan. 
That's what the Chumash is talking about. When the Chumash says, for example, if the woman is raped, you don't, you, you don't harm the woman because it's not her fault. She, it's like she's a murderer, she's a victim. That sounds so obvious to us, but believe me, in many parts of the world, that's not what happens. So blaming the victim is something that happens in many places. But in any event, leaving that aside, um, do you believe that the one who's getting married necessarily knows anything about anything? I don't. Yeah. I don't. I don't assume that Leah knows of anything about the well or anything like that. All she knows is this fellow is living in the house. He's an eligible bachelor. I'm the oldest daughter, and my father's going to make the, uh, the the arrangements. We have no reason to assume that the women know the slightest thing about this. That's our reading into it. That's the whole business. Rachel and Leah working together. The text says nothing of the sort. In fact, it's a little secret. The text says exactly the opposite. Because later on in the story, exactly the opposite. Later on in the story, and we'll get to the story in chapter 30, verse 14, says that if the, 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 the two wives are struggling for their husband's affection. And Leah has four children at that point, and Rachel has none. And so Ruvain goes out into the field. He finds mandrakes, fertility pill, brings them to his mother. And Rachel says to Leah, give me some of those mandrakes. Give me some of your son's mandrakes. Isn't it enough that you took my husband? You want to take the mandrakes also? What do you mean you took my husband? Rachel could have said to him, no, you took my husband. What are you talking about? No, Leah has no idea. What does Leah know? Leah knows one thing, I'm married to the guy. A short while later, you're married to him. But what is this? And he loves you more than me. They want to be the mother of the children also. We have no reason to assume in the shot that she knows the first thing about anything. She knows one thing. Father said, maybe three days ago, hey, you're getting married in three days. You know, who? Jacob, the, the guy who's the, the free who lives in our house. You know, the guy who's working for me. One of, one, of my, one of my employees. He's related to you too, you know that? Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah, get ready for the wedding. Three days. You have a dress? So borrow one from a neighbor. That's what she knows. She knows nothing else. Maybe she does. We have no reason to assume that at all. She said it straight up later. It took my husband. We have no reason to assume it. But reading our Western mind into the text, there's no reason to assume that in the least. Maybe she does know. But in any event, by right, I don't assume that there wasn't such a rule. There may well be a rule. But Yaakov had stipulated explicitly Rachel, the younger daughter. And now Lovin comes with the idea that, what can I do? My hands are tied. It's been Kalmedo. And the truth is, and here's a very important point about the Chumash, actually, that in the Sefer Bereshit, Lovin has a, a I would say, a, a um, kind of spiritual, Lovin has a kind of a uh, spiritual twin. There's someone else in the book of Genesis who was actually Lovin. He operates exactly the same way as Lovin. Same is kind it of Avimelech and Laban are two peas in a pot. Exactly the same way. And they have exactly the same modus operandi in terms of it's never their fault. It's always about, you know, it's always about the people. It's always about somebody else. Maybe it's God's fault. Maybe it's Abraham's fault. Maybe it's Sarah's fault. 
maybe it's the community. Remember what he, what he says? When, with, with Yitzchak in chapter 25, he goes to Avimelech and Philistines, and he's, he says, she's my sister. He's afraid we're going to kill him. And then Avimelech is peering out the window, and he sees them together as husband and wife. He says, why did you, why did you lie to me? Why did you lie to me? Then he, he convenes the town. He, he says to him, one of the people might have slept with her. He would have brought upon us a great sin. What's us? But it's always us. It's always deflecting. It's a, your servant stole my water. I know nothing about it. It's Avimelech. So love and Avimelech are kindred spirits. Avimelech fooled many of the Mepharshim, by the way. He's exactly the same as Lavan. That's how they operate. It's never their fault. So Lavan says to Yaakov, what, what, what can I do? But I'll tell you what, I have, I have a solution to the problem. We'll solve the problem. Here's, how, here's the solution. Complete complete the seven years, right? In other words, complete this. So this is what the Ramban says. It probably wasn't yet completed. Maybe there was a few weeks left. Maybe there was a few months left. They're in the last year. That's how the Ramban reads it. Finish this seven years that you promised to work for the first one. And I will give you that one also, provided by stipulation. If you work for another seven years. Now here there's something else very interesting. I noticed this many years ago, and it's a very good point. And let me tell you this point. This is not obvious. I mean, when I say it, it will be obvious, but it's not obvious before that. Remember in the beginning when Yaakov comes to Lavan's house, Lavan says to Yaakov, you are my, you are my flesh, and, flesh and bone. And we noticed that that expression appeared earlier in the Torah in the story when the, uh, when the other, the Isha, is taken from the Ish. First, first it says that God brought all the animals to, 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 to Adam. But he couldn't find a helper. And then God, Adam is put into a deep sleep, and, uh, and God takes from the side of Adam, God fashions this other being. And God brings her to Adam. He brings her to Adam. And Adam said, Zotapam, this time, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. To this one, we call Isha. For this one comes from Ish, calls himself an Ish at that point. Notice of the excitement of Adam. He's finally found his true soulmate, Zotapam. And the word Zot actually appears three times. So this one is different, Zotapam, right? That's the excitement. And God brings her to him. And now we have Lavan. That's, Lavan says to Yaakov, you are my flesh and blood. It sounds like a flesh and bone. Sounds innocuous. It's never innocuous when Lavan speaks. You are, me and you, we're 
flesh and flesh and bone. And now, so we work seven years for Rachel, the younger one. He discovers we don't do this. The town won't allow it. The town won't allow it. Okay, but I have a solution. He says, finish the seven years, right? And I will give you the other one, right? I will give you the other one for the work you will do for another seven years. And the Torah says, that's what Yaakov does. Torah says that Yaakov, Yaakov completed the seven years. So here it's interesting, actually. Notice that the two stories are parallel. In each case, it's about men and women. In each case, court marriage. In each case, someone is bringing the bride to the, to the groom. In the case of uh, Lavan, he brings Leah to Yaakov, back in verse number uh, 25. But notice the use of the word zot. In the autumn story, in that initial story, the zot is, this is the one. She's the one. Not, not like the others, not like all the other animals. This is the one. The excitement, you can, you can hear it, you know? Right? That, that moment of excitement to meet your soulmate. Of course, not too long after that, in the very next chapter, when God said to Adam, did you read that? Uh, why are you hiding? Where, where are you? I'm hiding because I'm naked. Who told you you're naked? You didn't eat that fruit, did you? That I told you not to eat. I command you don't eat it. The, the woman you put by my side. So that's a little different than this is the one, Zot. The one you foisted upon me. That's Adam in chapter three. Over here, the Zot is different. Here, the Zot is not the person. Oh, this one? You, you, you work for Zot? Oh, another seven years, I'll give you Zot. From Lovin's perspective, you see, it's not about his beloved daughter and the, and the son-in-law and all that stuff. It's a Zot. The Zot here, actually, which plays off the Zot over there, the zot is, they're actually interchangeable parts as far as he's concerned. Because the goal is actually to get seven more years of labor out of Yaakov. That's the real goal. And, and for nothing. Because you're my brother, you should work for nothing. He works for less than nothing. He works for nothing plus Gahak is what he works for. And the point is, and now going back to that verse, you are my flesh and my, and my bone, what he's really saying is, don't think of our relationship as anything to do with my, with my daughters. Because in the initial story, it's husband-wife, right? That's, that's the bone and flesh and bone. Says love unto Yaakov in retrospect. No, no, no. It's not about them. It's not about this one or that one. Two interchangeable parts. The relationship is not with them. Never forget that. The relationship is with me and only me. Because no one else actually exists around love and except love. And everybody else is a commodity to be transacted. That's how this guy functions. And our hero, Yaakov, has, falls into the trap. And he falls into the trap because there's a piece of love in Yaakov himself. It's the Yaakov that can manipulate his, his, his tired and hungry brother who comes after a long day's work to sell his, uh, his, his birthright. So the point is that this is the picture of love on that the Torah. Yaakov is in a very dangerous place for Yaakov. And he's fallen into the trap. As a tip-off and bad things are lying ahead for Yaakov as well. Let me stop here for a moment and I'll take comments or questions. And um, 
I'd like to proceed. I did notice something this past Shabbat, which I thought was extremely interesting. Maybe if we have time, I'll talk about that. Otherwise, maybe next week. Fascinating, actually. Um, okay, comments or questions? Rabbi, by the way, you have here the word zot three times. It's three each time. It's three times yeah. in the first case and three yeah. times over here. It's amazing. It's exactly yeah. parallel to it. Yeah, of course, very nice. Has exactly the opposite meaning. That's my point. Exactly parallel. He brings very, very nice. three zotes, but they're exactly the opposite. The first zote is like, wow, this zote is this one or that one. As far as he's concerned, they're interchangeable. What does he care? Just makes all the main point is yes, seven more years, and Yaakov agrees. Yaakov does it. Yaakov works seven more years. Yes, comments. Um, Susan, I saw you. I saw you had your hand up, and then Shmuel. Thank you. Going back to Hava, the pasuk also tells us that he the seven years of work went by a few days because he loved it so much. So the the narrative pasuk is telling us that he had real love. It wasn't a business deal when it came to him with Rachel, but when he talks to Lovan, he uses words that he knows this is Lovan. To Lovan, it's a business deal. So for Lovan, it's Hava, but for him, it's more, much more than, than Hava. That could be. That's certainly possible. No, I, I'm not suggesting he doesn't love, he doesn't love her, but I, by the same token, as we'll see, I, I just wonder the extent to which the Chumash cares about love. Mm. You know, I... I don't think, uh, I, I wonder about that, whether love is actually a, talks about love of God. The love of God it typically refers to the way one behaves out of the sense of, of love. It's more than, you know, the internal feeling of kind of feeling of love. Um, in general, I have my questions about love. I think that- Yitzchak loved Rivka, it says that Yitzchak loved Rivka. You know, we started we started started Risha in the beginning and still the case um it was an attempt to give women full uh, equal access to Jewish texts and hopefully to to help uh, women gain positions of le appropriate leadership in the Jewish community each one according to their gifts and uh actually started just three years ago yeshiva in Israel which raises the bar for women's studies never happened in Jewish history yeshiva Risha in Israel is something that's uh, Remarkable if it works, it will really change things. It's one of the most important things we've ever done, etc., etc., etc. Someone said about talking about loving the men should love the women. I said, not to love the women, you have to respect the women. Forget about love, respect is what's important, not love. Drop the love talk, you know. Respect to love everybody, of course. But I mean, if you want to move forward, it's, about, it's more about respect. I wonder about the love in the Chumash altogether. I have my doubts about it. But uh, Lovin has no respect for, his, for anybody around him, except for himself. But outside of that, no respect. So yes, I think that is, uh, that's Lovin. And yes, it is true that Yaakov may be talking Lovin's language. But however, the problem is that when you talk Lovin's language long enough, or anybody's language, you become part of a culture. And then it's very hard to leave that culture behind. If the Chumash teaches us anything, story of the, the story of the Jewish people, the exodus from Egypt, is not just about walking out of Egypt. The story of the exodus from Egypt is for shedding a whole set of values that we picked up over, over 200 or so years in the land of, of Egypt. You pick up all kinds of assumptions about how people 
behave or people should behave, etc. So it's not just about physically leaving Mitzrayim. And it takes a generation at least to rid ourselves of most of that. So Yaakov in the house of Lavan, of course, is parallel to Yaakov, Israel and Egypt. The same language describes them both, as we will see. So I think that it's not just that. And it will see very soon that actually the transactional side is what governs the family. The, the women are going to trade Yaakov back and forth. You're going to rent him out in, the, in their own words. So the fact of the matter is, this is one of the great dangers. And the, and the danger is that Yaakov will get stuck there because there's a piece of Yaakov that is very comfortable there. I mean, Lovin is the, is the great, you know, Lovin is the, the maestro when it comes to deception. <clears throat> but Yaakov has abilities too. Let's not kid ourselves. He's pretty good at it, you know? So that's, I think, the danger. Anybody else for a... Uh, yeah, yeah, yes? yeah. Clear, clear, clearly in this story, we see that that Yaakov is not aware that he's getting he's getting his karma come comeuppance, so to speak. Right. Right. So he he doesn't he doesn't get yet that he is a Ramai. Mirma. They, they right. came but Mirma with his brother. <laughs> right. So he, True. He, he's early in his own in his own awakening, in other words. That's right. Yaakov, okay, will, so, have, okay. Yaakov will learn it. That's the story. Yaakov will discover it takes many years to do it though. Right. That's the story of Yaakov. So he he has to he has to first reject it in Lavan. He has to see that he's being yes. I like that formulation. Okay. Of okay. Okay. So, but, but besides that, um, the uh, the zot business, the zot, the zot business here is is very similar actually to the zot business in the first instance, because because Adam does not immediately call her a name as he's called the other creatures. He calls her zot. He calls her a pronoun. In other words, she is a widget. He calls her Isha is what he calls her. Well, but that, that's isn't that? But that's eventually. He doesn't call her that now. Here, no, he's called Isha, but he also calls himself. In other words, the moment he calls her Isha, oh, that's Adam true. is Adam until then. I wouldn't yeah, say that's true. That's true. As the Earthling. Okay, that's true. That's true. That's true. As opposed to here, where 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 they're just where they're just widgets. Okay. Okay. Um, um, but the the, the third. Uh, ugh. Okay, I for I forgot. Okay, fine. Anybody else? Is it, uh, is it possible that uh, Hava is a contraction of Tohu Vavohu? Well, I don't think, it, etymologically, I don't see that, but <laughs> I don't know. Could be, I mean, I don't know what else, it, because no. when it's spoken, maybe you pick up certain nuances with the spoken word. Uh, in the written word, I don't see the, the link, but uh, Hava is the, Hava is an Aramaic word, it means tame, basically. Hava means tame, give me. Gimme, you know, but but there are different ways to say give me, you know. Gimme, G-I-M-M-E is means one thing. Would you please hand me something is something else? We have many ways to say give, and each word has its own nuance and own. I'm just saying the way hover functions, I'm not saying in the dictionary, the way it functions, whether it's hover nitchakmala, whether it's hover hover of whether it's the hover's hoverly banim is also we'll see. They all tend to be extremely problematic. And the first is Middah Babel. So whether it's tov or or whatever, and it's Aramaic. Hav and, and hav is to give in Aramaic. Okay, let me. Do you have um, anything? Do you have anything um, on? Do you have anything on 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 the name Lavan as white as a like Esau is red? Yes, I'll get to that. Right. All right. I'll get to that. Right. Yeah. I wanted to ask you. Um, you said that they didn't that the stone wasn't necessarily so big. So then why did they all have to gather there at the same time? Because they can't push it off until everybody's there. The point of it is, it's not about the stone being heavy. There's no intimation whatsoever that's a heavy stone. 
The reason they wait to push the stone off is a simple reason, because because if they because if you can push the stone off before they all gather, and let's say there's twenty shepherds, okay, there's always so much water in the well, and they want to divide the water fairly. So therefore, you have to wait to to the all twenty shepherds show up. Let's say stone is pushed off at nine thirty. So be nine twenty-five. They have eight eight shepherds there, ten shepherds there. You can't you can't do that. You have to wait till nine thirty because they all can gather. Each one gets the appropriate portion. Otherwise, some the first ten will take ninety percent of the water, and the last ones won't have any water. So presumably, it's to it's, it's out of sense of equity and fairness that they all wait their appropriate. It's not so different over here. You want to marry the younger one? You wait. It's the same idea, basically. You have to wait. It's like a, it's like in shul. Davening is at nine o'clock. Okay, you're going to start at nine o'clock. At five to nine, there are enough people in the shul to start at nine twenty-five. Let's say you have to wait till nine o'clock. Maybe somebody's saying kaddish. You can't start without. You call it for nine nine for nine thirty or whatever. And on whatever time nine o'clock, you've got to start on time. You can't start early. That's what it's about. And they do with the rock being heavy, but he breaks the law. He doesn't want to wait because he's 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 a guy who's he's focused on 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 on, on Rachel and he wants to help Rachel, so he's not going to wait. That's his nature. The point is that was Cass's point. He's, he's, he's by his nature a guy who who doesn't necessarily uh, adhere to the rules. And the same thing is true in the first story. He is the younger one who supplanted the older. It's true that he was hesitant to do it because he might get caught. But okay. Now the question is the following. It's now 10.53, I have about uh, 20, 20, 25 minutes. Uh, and one last thing, let me, could let I let ask me, you- let me, let, me, let me stop here, not stop. I'm just, someone has a comment? And could I, I just to, ask you to reposition yourself because we only see half your face? Reposition myself, let me see if I can do that. Great, thank you, sorry. That's better, okay, now, Okay, so let me let me uh, stop here. We're going to continue, but I just want to mention I saw something yesterday I thought was very interesting and uh, extremely interesting. So I'd like to share it. I haven't worked it out, but I, my gut tells me that it's that this it's, that it's very very significant, and that has to do with yesterday's haftorah. Remember yesterday's haftorah. Yesterday's haftorah, Parsha was told out, right? So yesterday's Haftorah is taken from a little book called Malachi. Malachi is in the last of the so-called Treyasar, the minor prophets. Um, they're short, for the most part, short, uh, short books. And the 12 of them, Treyasar. And the last of them is called Malachi. And the Haftorah is taken from, the, from chapter one of Malachi and the part of chapter two. So I just wanted to point out something about Malachi and then haven't thought the whole book through yet, I'm thinking about it, but my gut tells me that there's something very interesting in the Haftorah. Then we, if we finish that, we'll jump back to continue right where we are. It is relevant. Can you put up Malachi on, these, on the screen? The book of Malachi? Yep, okay. Yep, one moment. Yeah. Here's the Haftorah. The Haftorah is yesterday's Haftorah, Toldot. The, the story, the key story of Toldot, relevant to us, obviously, is Yaakov taking the blessing. First, the birthright, and then the blessing from his brother Asaph. The birthright, Asaph comes back tired from the field. All these stories will play out in, 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 in our story here as well. We'll get to it all. But the first one was Asaph is tired, hungry and tired, comes back from the field. And Yaakov is cooking up his food. 
his lentil soup, and Esav wants pour some of that stuff down my throat, that red stuff. And Yaakov says, sell me your birthright. Sell me your birthright, and, ya- and um, that's it. And Yaakov, uh, what do I care about birthrights? I'm going to die, right? And Yaakov says, swear it, swear it, swear, swear to me. So he swears, and, ya- and Esav eats and he drinks, he gets up. Degraded or squandered the birthright. That's the first story. The second story is about the blessing. Yesterday's great story. Yaakov takes the blessing intended for Esau. Fine. Now we have a prophecy of Malachi. It's interesting, first of all. Some things I'm saying I haven't worked out yet, so I have to think about it. <clears throat> As is our custom, we'll probably revisit this many times. Who knows? It's not clear. Malach is in biblical Hebrew always the same thing, a messenger. Sometimes it's a messenger from God, called that a Malach, and sometimes it's a human messenger. Over here, the prophet, maybe his name is Malachi, could be that's his name, Malachi, such a name exists, or maybe Malachi. It was through my through my messenger, maybe Malachi is not a name at all. Uh, the um, yeah, so the message. Wait, it starts like this. The first few verses. Yeah, I'm back to the style of Malachi. I'm not going to study Malachi. I want to make a couple of points about this Haftorah. God says, "I love you." And you say, Israel says to God, how, how have you demonstrated your love? And God answers. Isn't Esau Jacob's brother? And I love, I accepted Jacob. I love Jacob. I hate Esau. And I've destroyed his, 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 his scroll down, destroyed his, his mountains, etc. Keep going down, stop. So Edom thinks we're crushed, but we're going to build up again. No, no, says God. It's not going to happen. You will build and I will destroy, etc., etc. Fine. And you, your eyes shall behold, and you will declare, keep going down. Great is, down, down. Go, stop, stop. No, 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 go back. Back, 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 up. Stop, right. One verse, verse five, right? Now go down to six. Keep scrolling down slowly. Stop it. Now, fine. So Esau, it says, I'm gonna, I, I forget Esau, I hate Esau, says God. Hate Esau, says Malachi. Fine. So let's forget about Esau. Now let's turn to Jacob. A son should honor his father, a slave his master. So the Haftorah starts like this. I love you, Jacob. How do you love us? Here's the story. Esav, I hate. Forget Esav, he's out of the picture. Hate Esav, you may want to build, I'll destroy again. Forget Esav. Drop Esav. Now let's turn our attention to you, Yaakov. A father, a son honors his father. If I'm a father, where is my honor? If I'm your master, where is, how do you fear me, right? You priests who serve me, 
whom the text calls Bozeshimi. You are Bozeshimi, you scorn me, Vayivez, you scorn me. And you say, how do we, how do we scorn you? And I'll tell you how you scorn me. You offer defiled food on my altar. You say, how have we defiled anything? Answer, because you treat the table of God with scorn, nivzeh. Three times you have the word bazeh, bet, zayin, hey. And then continuing, and you bring unfit animals as sacrifices. You bring, you bring the blind animal and you bring a lame animal. Scroll down a little. Stop. Bring this to these kind of animals, bring it to your to, to your to your governors. Would, would this be accepted? Would, would this would the governor show you favor? Fine. So first of all, this is the half someone in our tradition shows us for the Haftorah of Toldot. Now here's the point about the Parsha. The Parsha is very simple. Parsha is a very simple point. Yitzchak has one blessing to give to his, uh, to his son. There's only one blessing. And he says, before I die, I want to give a blessing. So he's not intending to give two blessings. He thinks he could die tomorrow. I want to give a blessing before I die. Rivka understands the blessing to be with Hashem. It's God's blessing. In order to get the blessing, the transfer blessing from father to son, of chapter 27, just like chapter 22, the transfer blessing from father to son at the Akedah, the medium there was the sacrifice. So in chapter 27, there's a sacrificial medium as well. It's not an actual sacrifice but it functions as a kind of sacrifice for reasons I don't want to discuss now. But that's the tzayid, that's the food, that's the sa'ir, right? And order, you bring this tzayid in order to get God's blessing. Now, Esau cannot get God's this blessing. And the reason Esau cannot get the blessing is because the end of chapter 26, the Torah tells us Esau has married two Canaanite women. So he is actually disqualified from day one. Forget about Esau. Esau is inappropriate for the covenantal blessing. Now Yitzchak doesn't understand fully the blessing that he possesses as we discussed, okay, fine. But the covenantal blessing, Esau is completely out of the picture. He can't get it. The question is, will Yaakov be worthy to get it? And the way Yaakov gets it, of course, is by fooling his blind father tricking his blind father. And the point of the Haftorah is that if you, Haftorah says, Yaakov says, Israel says, you say you love us, how do you love us? Let me tell you something, says God. Esau's out of the question. There's Esau and Yaakov. Forget about Esau. They're not factors over here. Let's turn to you, Israel, and your priest and the way you serve God. And here's my complaint about you, that when you bring your sacrifices, you bring inappropriate sacrifices. You want to bring something inappropriate to me, and you think this way, you're going to ensure blessing. And your sacrifices, I find to be insulting. I can't accept them, and they won't find favor with me. It's a rhetorical question. And the Haftorah continues. Now remember, in the, in the, in the parsha, the word Vayivez was Esav. Vayivez Esav in the Haftorah, it's the priests 
who are bozeshimi. Four times the word baza appears. And, and now, viata, and this is what you should do. This is what you should do. Implore the favor of God. Will God be gracious to us? This is what you have done. Will you accept any of you? Fine. Now, what's interesting is this verse number nine. Now, we're not up to this yet in our study, but you remember that later on, there's another quasi-sacrifice. The quasi-sacrifice later appears in chapter 32, chapter 33, is when Yaakov comes back to the land. Someday we'll get there. When he comes back to the land, he's concerned that Esav may actually kill him. 20 years later, that Esav is still angry. So he does several things, including sending gifts to Esav. The gift that he sends to Esav, the Torah calls a, a uh, mincha. It's a mincha, which of course is a sacrificial term for a kind of offering. It's a mincha. And I'll read to you what happens when Yaakov sends the mincha to Esau. So Yaakov sends these animals, and the animals that Yaakov sends, remember, what kind of animals are the ones that Yaakov sends? They're very good animals. How do we know they're good and strong animals? Because we know in the story of Laban that Yaakov took the best ones for himself, right? The stronger animals, the best animals, the healthiest animals, Yaakov takes with all his manipulation. So Yaakov has not only many, many animals, but they are the strongest and the best. That's what he sends to Esau. And when he sends the gifts to Esau, Esau says to Yaakov, chapter 33, I read it to you. Esau says, I see all this whole camp that I've, I've encountered. What, what, what is this whole thing? And Yaakov says to him, The gifts that you're seeing, these various animals, are to find favor in your eyes, to find chayim. I have many animals. Esav says, I don't need that. Are you kidding? Esav is the wealthiest guy in the world. He has, owns a country. I don't need, thank you very much. Not necessary. He declines. By Yom and Yaakov, verse number 20, verse number 10, chapter 33, verse 10. Please, if I find favor, accept my mincha. For seeing your face is like seeing the face of God and you will receive me favorably. That's what he says over here. And earlier when he sends the gifts, he instructs his people to bring the gifts to Esau. And he says, say this to Esau. This is chapter 32, verse 31. Bring him the gifts and say, your servant Jacob follows. For he said, I will I will propitiate him. Kapara is atonement. I will receive atonement with the gift, with the mincha that proceeds from me. Then afterwards I will see his face. Perhaps he saw Panai, he will accept me. So the language, the mincha that Yaakov sends, the goal is, we're Panav, 
Lisa Panav, Chain, right? The Chaneni, right? He says, you will, uh, you will, you will, you will treat me with grace, right? And Vatirtseni. Now, the language of Vatirtseni, let's go back now to, to Malachi, right? When God complains in the first chapter, right? Just check, just um, just back up one one verse. Back up, yes, that verse, right? Verse number three. When you bring the, the blind to, as a as a sacrifice or the lame, that right, or, or the sick, that you, doesn't it that doesn't matter? Bring them to your governors. The language over here, in other words, what God doesn't like is that the sacrifices you are bringing are number one, infirm, and then it's going to come to another point in the Haftorah, not just infirm, but stolen. You can't get, a, you can't get God's favor with stolen sacrifices, infirm sacrifices, deficient sacrifices. It's the Haftorah for Parsha Toldo. And in point of fact, the Haftorah is pointing out that when Yaakov brings the food to his father, right? God calls God a father. I'm a father. In the, where is the respect, right? Where's the respect for your father? It's the Haftorah. It's Malachi. And I came to understand that the book of Malachi in general is playing off the Yaakov and Esav story. I never realized that before. Not just over here. Let's just read a few more verses. It's very clear. Let's read a few more verses. Keep scroll down. This is verse number, was it nine? Yes. Okay, let's scroll down. Yes. Right, you keep it right. So it continues. If you would only lock my doors, I don't want your sacrifices, right? He says, Keep going down. I don't want the sacrifice, this gift, this mincha. Keep going. Scroll down. And he, then he continues the Haftorah, right? He says, listen, says God, all throughout the world, my name is honored. Right? Keep, keep scrolling down. My name is honored. I don't need your sacrifices, right? But you are, in fact, Mechalimotom. You, 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 are, you are degrading it. Let's get the translate verse number 12. Keep, scroll down. Let's get the English. The table of the Lord is defiled. They don't know what it means either. The meat, the food can be treated with scorn. Right? Right? And now the next verse. And you say, what a bother. You degrade it. And you bring, you bring something stolen. And this is your sacrifice. Can I accept this from you, says God? So this is the, this is the Haftorah for Parsha Toldo. In other words, the Haftorah is picking up on a very simple point. It sees the Sayyid as a sacrifice, something sacrificial to obtain God's blessing, as Rebecca said, Hashem. He's blessing you before God and the sacrifice makes that possible. But what kind of sacrifice, how could you possibly expect a stolen sacrifice, a sacrifice brought with deceit, to enable you to get the ultimate blessing. Obviously, there's something very wrong, which has to be corrected. Now, the correction is already found in the Haftorah, because the correction recalls the other sacrifice, the mincha that Yaakov brings, where he talks about seeing the face, like seeing God's face, like we're old panim, we saw panim, batchaneni, all the language, kapara, Yaakov describes it. So the, the way the Haftorah is a, 
a way to see the story of Yaakov, look at these two quasi-sacrifices and the difference between them. Just take one or two more verses over here, scroll down a little more. Arur nochel, right? Cursed, nochel is a cheat. Cursed is the cheat who doesn't bring the appropriate sacrifice. Keep going down. Keep going down, keep going down. Keep going down, keep going down. A little more, a little more. Go that more. Okay, let's scroll down. Keep scroll down more. Verse number two, verse number three, keep going. Chapter two, you have it there, verse three? Got stuck there? I'll read it to you, I'll get it here. Let me find it, I'll read it to you. It's one verse, one more verse I wanted to read. Here it is. It's actually the end of this verse. God says, talking to the priest, says to the priest, if you continue in this behavior and don't and don't don't give honor to my name, I will send a curse. I will turn your blessing into a curse. Now remember when Rivka says to Yaakov, go to your father and get the blessing. And he says, Yaakov says to Rivka, maybe, maybe my father will touch me and feel me to bring upon me a curse and not a blessing. And Rivka says to Yaakov, don't worry about it. The curse is on me. The Haftar picks up on exactly this point exactly what Yaakov was concerned about, right? He's concerned about that, that, that verse right there. I will, I will, your blessing will turn into a curse. It's exactly the point. Now, how does the Torah end? There's much more here, but how does the Torah actually end? The Torah ends with talking about the Levi. Stop, right there. You passed it. Back. Stop. Right there. Back. That's it. Stop. Torah, no, you keep passing it. Torah and Mel Taitaba for you. Which verse is that? One earlier. Verse One. number six, right? Verse number six. That's it. This is about the lady. This is the one who can serve me, says God. Torah and Mel Taitaba for you, Viavlov and Mutsabis Fatav. Vishalom of Mishar Halachi T, Rabim Heshiv Mayavon. Torah Emet, a true Torah, a true, a, a true teaching was in his mouth. Nothing perverse was on his lips. He walked in peace with Shalom over Mishar, Yashar, straight, honest. The crooked shall become straight. And the last verse is, right? The, the lips of the priest are, are God knowledge. For the priest is the messenger of God. The book of Malachi, by the way, from beginning to end, talks about messengers. Starts with, the name of the book is Malachi. And if you recall the story of Jacob, and we'll come back to this, the story of Jacob is all about Malachi, right? Jacob leaves home. He has a dream. He sees the angels ascending and descending the staircase, right? Later on, he uh, has another dream. 
The Malach speaks to him at the end of chapter 31. And then Vayishrach Yaakov Malachim Lefanav. And then Jacob sends Malachim to, messengers to Esau. Then Jacob wrestles with some divine being. One could call that a Malach as well. And Jacob says at the end of his life, Hamalach Otimi the God's protecting angel. God, the angel who guarded me should, should care for the boys. The fact of the matter is, one can read, and we'll get to this, the story of Yaakov in general as being, at every point, is a story about a Malachi. The Haftorah, the, the book of Malachi, it strikes me, and the choice for the Haftorah, it's very jarring, actually, that the Haftorah, Malachi, seems to speak very directly to Esau and Yaakov. And there's more to be said about this too. I just, maybe next week, I'll, there's more things. Just notice, I wanted to share this point. I think it's a very interesting point. The choice of the Haftorah is always interesting, but in this particular case, it's focused very much on, for starters, the taking of the blessing in an, in an inappropriate way. That's number one. And it's presuming that when he brings to Yitzchak to get God's blessing is a kind of carbon and the, and the wrong kind of sacrifice. And it starts by saying, forget Esau. Esau is not even a question. Uh, not even a question. Esau is out of the question. But the, what concerns us is Yaakov. He's our hero. And we'll see how Yaakov moves forward. It won't be simple, but he does move forward. And there is another most interesting uh, connection to the story of Yaakov that I'll talk about next week. The most interesting of all, actually, that I'll get to next week, relevant to what we are about to uh, study as we continue. Okay, let me take, what's already 11.17, goodness. Okay, let me take two minutes for questions or comments and we'll have to continue next week with this. Comments or questions, yes. Um, I just, I'm sorry. I just wanted to add about the love business that I think folk narratives rarely speak about emotions directly. They always speak about deeds and actions as revealing emotions. So it's always pealim velo regashot directly. That's certainly true of the Chumash, that's for sure. I, can, I can't speak in general about yeah. other literature, but the Chumash is typically says very little about how, what people are thinking or feeling. It tells us what yeah. they do, and it lets the actions, one might say, speak for themselves, or a, 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 you know, the, the many actions, and the sum total of the actions, I think, are move us, uh, lead us in certain directions. Um, but the point I wanted to make, it took uh, 20 minutes, is more actually, even more interesting than this, but to think in general about the Haftorah, the Haftorah is chosen for a reason. And the idea that when you read the story of Yaakov, bottom line is, we don't think of it this way. I mean, he's tricking his blind father and he's bringing as the sacrificial medium something which is actually deceitful. I mean, and that what the Haftorah says is, hey, let's, let's stop here a moment to think about this. Do you really think that the ultimate blessing can be obtained through this kind of deceit? Of course it can't. And which is how this will play out. And now we're in, in the middle of Yaakov in the house of Laban, and he's beginning to understand what it feels like to be on the other side. And we'll see how he moves forward in this story. It's a complicated story. Okay, I'll stop at this point, and we will... Uh, Continue with this next week, the chapter, end of chapter 29 and story of Rachel and Leah, and another very interesting connection to that, to the to, to Sefer Malachi.
Okay, right. thank you very much. Uh, my email is dsilber at If people have comments or questions, just send them to me on the email. I'm happy to respond. Thank you.